BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blubber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 79 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky. My partner, Jeff Blum, is enjoying a little downtime over the All-Star break. So I'm joined this morning by Sports Radio 610's Brandon Scott. B. Scott, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, Jeff. I'm glad that you guys are having me on. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on, filling in, hanging out with you in place of Jeff Blum, like this is the <laughs> ultimate fill-in week for me. In case people don't know, I'm filling in on Sports Radio 610 for Payne and Pendergast right. on the mornings. And then I'm doing this podcast with you, kind of filling in for Jeff Blum. Big shoes to fill for me all week, but <laughs> I- I'm just honored that enough people thought enough of me to ask me to do it. So let's go. Hey, man, I'm happy to have you. You know, uh, Shawnee is a buddy of mine. Uh, we are colleagues at the Houston Press. Right. Uh, I've known Sean for a long time. He's a good dude. They have big shoes to fill, but you've got big feet, man. That's the that's the deal, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the whole point. That's What's the benefit, Jeff, of wearing a size 13 shoe in the eighth grade? <laughs> My parents had to go buy a size 13 shoe when I was 13 right. years old, and I've maintained that size ever since. But what's the point of wearing the size 13 if you're not going to feel the big shoes? Absolutely. hundred percent. So you can find uh, our, us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, of course, on YouTube. Give us a follow on Twitter and, or, well, on Twitter? <laughs> Ish. Yeah. We'll, see, we'll yeah. see how long that lasts. Eventually, we are, we will be on threads by the end of this week. I can promise you that because we are on Instagram. It's at Believe in Astros, B-L-E-A-V. Um, but Twitter? Twitter question I'm, mark? I'm personally already on threads. Uh, I'm at Jeff Balky everywhere. Blummer's at Blummer27. He's on threads as well. Um, I guess we're going to have to start mentioning threads. I know, Brandon, you're at Brandon K. Scott. Yeah. And I think you cover the at Sports Radio 610, don't you? Yeah, so I'm at Brandon K. Scott and at Sports Radio 610. That's on on Twitter and at Sports Radio 610 on Twitter and Instagram. I guess I should have thought of threads as both, I guess, this new phenomenon, but also just as a mm-hmm. topic as well, because that is a place where people are going as an alternative. People are already on Instagram and, and Instagram now, Meta, however you want to look at it, is doing yeah. a pretty decent job of copycatting and marrying <laughs> the idea and concept that Twitter yeah. possesses with its own concept at Instagram. And it doesn't look half bad. I'm, I'm on threads and Instagram too. at B Scott from Hiram Clark. If y'all want to check that out, B Scott uh, hey. from Hiram Clark with the E at the end spelled like the, like the neighborhood here in Houston. Love the Hiram Clark, man. I, I actually, uh, the, the, I had a buddy from the Hiram Clark for years, oh, yeah. rest, rest in peace. Very, very dear 
friend and musician buddy of mine for many years. And so I used to do some hanging in the Hiram Clark. I had my share of barbecue in the HC there you more go. than once. There you more go. than once. I dig that. I dig that. <laughs> thanks, to, thanks to everybody who's given us five stars and left us reviews on Apple. Obviously, send us all your comments and questions. We love getting them. Read all of them. I've got one that a guy sent in. I'm going to do on Friday when Blummer gets back because he asked Blum. But my question today is, is All-Star Week the worst week in sports? And why is that 100% accurate? I feel like, let me just tell you. So my opinion is that October is the best month of the year, period. Never of, of anything. First of all, it's the best sports month. Because some people might argue March because of March Madness. But October has pro football, college football, pro basketball, NHL, and the baseball playoffs all at once. No other sport, no other time of the year does that. And on top of that, it's usually the first cool front of the year for all of us down here who are suffering from uh, literal and metaphorical heat exhaustion. And then on top of that, hurricane season is over, Yeah. right? October comes around, that's the end of hurricane season. So this week, however, to me is just brutal. I mean, there's no sports. I mean, they have the ESPYs this week. I mean, yeah. that's how bad it is. They have to hold the ESPYs this week. I mean, is this the worst week in sports? Well, first, I would co-sign your point about October. Let's just get that off top since you mentioned it. I 100% agree with you on October. And you're also talking to somebody, as I mentioned, who is filling in on a morning show. So a morning show that I don't do every day, and I'm doing it for four hours a day. Again, something that I don't do every day. And I'm filling in topics and, and trying to talk about sports on a week in which very mm. few sports are actually happening. I mean, I led... Tuesday show talking about the home run derby and, and fortunately I'm doing a show with a guy who's more baseball oriented than Adam Spillane to where we actually had digestible and moderately interesting opinions on the home run derby and we were able to dovetail off of that into some more baseball topics and so we 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 did it but to your question though <laughs> is it is it the worst week in sports I would I would say this because it is an interesting question I think that for fans, it certainly can be. For consumers like yourself, like myself, who are like we're doing media, but we're ultimately sports consumers, right? We're yeah. we're here consuming the game. I don't think it's the worst weekend. I think it is closer to the other end of the spectrum for the actual athletes themselves. And this mm. is just one of those examples I think of somewhat of a disconnect between the athlete and the sports fan, whereas – you know, these athletes live for an all-star weekend or all-star break or an opportunity to appear in an all-star game or to participate in an all-star event like, say, the Home Run Derby or the Slam yeah. Dunk Contest in the NBA or whatever it may be. Like, you want to be among the best of your peers when they're all being showcased together. And it is, I would say, for like – like, if you're – I imagine the people that listen to this podcast and, and certainly – you know, the people that consume the work that we do in sports media, like you're if you're a, like a hardcore sports fan, you you perhaps and depending on what sport it is, you perhaps celebrate the game in the ways that all star g events are designed to like it is a celebration of whatever game and whatever league it is. And I mm -hmm. do think that that part of it is cool and important and noteworthy and worth Again, consuming if you're into this sports thing, whatever sport it is, and in this case, baseball. But in terms of like, especially baseball All-Star Week, like in the summer, 
you know, on, on the one hand, it's the one thing. So it, it kind of has your undivided attention in that aspect. And I think that's kind of cool for baseball at the very least. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the, of the time of year and the amount of sports content that you're consuming, if the best you can give me is, you know, a bunch of guys taking BP, you know, it's yeah, that that's that's not great on top of the fact that, you know, the, the next most noteworthy actual sporting event that's happening you know, outside of like some of the individual sports, golf or, or you know, tennis, tennis right now or whatever it is. Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Right. You know, you got Wimbledon. If you're into that, that's great. But outside of that, it's like summer league. I'm, I got my clock waiting after <laughs> we talk later, you know, after I finish yep. up, finish up my work today. I'm going to check out some Rockets summer league later on. I know. Same. In, in, in I've been kind of catching. That, that's where we're at, Jeff. That's where we're at. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I, I've been doing that, too. And uh, I like I like tennis. I like Wimbledon. Um, I, I feel like it's an underrated athletic sport. I feel like there are some of the people that play that sport are incredibly athletic. Um, but it is it's just a tough time of year. And with baseball, like I look, basketball has done a good job with the all-star weekend because they've been able to wrap it up into a weekend. They have a skills contest they have three point shootout. They've got the dunk competition. Obviously they're always tinkering with it. So it's, you know, they try to change it up on a regular basis, which I think is smart baseball. You know, they have the home run derby. I mean, Vlad Guerrero jr. Carries on the legacy for his father, uh, which is, which is pretty cool, but baseball doesn't like, I would love to see some baseball skills competitions. Like, I'd love to see, you know, like, just like they throw the football at a tire. Like, I'd like to see some guys trying to, you know, make fielding plays. I'd love to see an outfielder try to hit, a, like, throw it to a garbage can at home plate. You know, like, I, let's see some, like, interesting – I think some of this and, – and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of this is TikTok's fault, right? <laughs> because you have these guys on TikTok that do these cra- – I saw one guy the other day that threw a football – over his house and ran through the center of his house with all the doors open and then caught it on the other side. Right. It took him a while, took him like days to get it. Like, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that's on, that's the only thing that's going to entertain us as, as consumers of sports when it's like something like this, we're just not, we just were like, well, I can watch this, mm-hmm. these guys like throw a straw into a, you know, into a bottle. That seems more fun than watching a guy, like you said, take batting practice. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Like, imagine if they replaced, if they used some sort of skills competition, you name it, you pick it, and replaced the celebrity softball game with that. Yeah. Because think about it. I I get the appeal of the celebrity softball game, why you want to have celebrities out there that's name recognition, that's fame, that's that's bridging the gap, so to speak, or, or helping baseball cross over into pop culture. Mm-hmm. In a variety of ways, because you have a variety of different types of uh, of celebrities that participate in the softball game. So I'm not it's not to to clown the softball game or anything or, or to downplay it necessarily. But in terms of showcasing the game or, or showing something that is a lot more appealing and a lot more palatable to a baseball fan, you would think that it, a skills competition would be that like. Like I, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it and just say I want to see Ellie De La Cruz race the next fastest guy in the. Uh, but, but just I, I mean, would <laughs> let let the I, I would say that I would trust the 
the baseball institution itself to think of what would be the great skills competitions to go out there to put out there and, and to use that. And to your point also, Jeff, about the about it being TikTok's fault. And seeing guys, especially in football, mm-hmm. and this is the case in basketball, too, where you see mm-hmm. a lot on TikTok guys making trick shots and mm-hmm. doing different things. Um, t- you know, TikTok and just social media in general has yeah. captured the attention of so many people. I would ask, why not, if you're baseball, why not lean into that? You yeah. know, why, why not lean into exactly that, especially if you're trying to do the exact thing that you would think the celebrity game is trying to accomplish, which is to reach out a wider audience and to, like I said, bridge the gap. I think it would just be fun to have a few, like, like for example, instead of the softball game, right? Why not, if you're going to keep the celebrity game, do celebrity wiffle ball. I mean, that's a way more interesting and kind of goofy scenario. If you're going to do softball, just go ahead and do wiffle ball. You know, it's like, I think there's, there's stuff that you can do that, uh, that I think, like I said, I think the ability to, to hit things from a distance, like target shooting competition, but with a baseball, uh, would be pretty fascinating. Um, and of course, I do think the speed thing would be great. I mean, <laughs> I would love to see. I'd love to see guys like get, see how far they can get before they get thrown out. You know, I would love some stuff like that. But I know there's always worry about injury and all that stuff, and there's always going to be some concern. I still will never forget that. I guess it was the forgetting how long ago, 10 years ago or so, when the guy blew both of his ACLs during the uh, the game that they played in the sand, in the, the football skills competition thing. He landed awkwardly and like blew both. It's like, those are the kind of things where obviously they're worried about, you know, but yeah. I don't well, that's, know. That, that's the other risk though, Jeff, like to the point of the word, whether it's the worst weekend. Is, I was, hadn't, I had this thought coming out of the weekend and going into Monday, and I'm not sure I, I articulated it properly on the radio, but just midseason exhibition games, just as an idea, as a concept. And I, I don't mean this from a consumer standpoint. I just mean just mm-hmm. from a practical standpoint. It is dicey. It is risky. I, I feel like I feel like basketball is is probably less risky in this way. Because they don't, you know, oftentimes they don't really try as hard in, in a lot of the all-star stuff right. that they do. But, you know, if you're going up there, you know, if Garrett Cole throws a 99-mile-an-hour mile fastball, and he's got great command, I understand, but, like, if it just slips or mm-hmm. whatever it is, like, it, I mean, it's just – I was having a conversation about the home run derby with Jordan Alvarez, like – Hey, after watching that last night, you got to be, if you're thinking from an Astros lens, you're like, man, I'd love to see Jordan Alvarez compete in this competition just from a consumer standpoint and and from a fun standpoint. But as a fan, I'm looking yeah. at that clock and I'm like, ooh, you know what? I don't know if I want Jordan Alvarez exerting this much energy, using this many muscles this quickly for something that is ultimately inconsequential and doesn't really matter. And yeah. so that's a long-winded way of saying, hey, the the risk of injury, too, uh, over something that is not exactly, again, is just sort of just inconsequential, not exactly important in the grand scheme of things is also something that kind of makes you, might keep you up at night a little bit. Well, I also think, too, and you make a good point, um, but, you know, Blummer he was telling me, I was like, you know, I said in the last podcast, I was like, what's your favorite all-star moment? He goes, uh, he goes, all I know about the all-star game is when I'm in Mexico. 
because he always took vacation during the week. And I think they're, you know, increasingly you're getting situations where guys are not playing in the all-star game, you know, to preserve themselves for the, you know, Fromber's not pitching, um, even though he certainly could, uh, coming off a couple days rest, which personally I think was strategic, so he didn't have to pitch, and he gets a whole week off. I think this whole week off is kind of a big deal for a lot of players uh, to try and rest up in the middle of the season. I do have my all-star hat on, though. I mean, yeah. if you're watching this on YouTube, I do have my – I thought this is a pretty slick. It's I mean, stylish. It's, it's stylish. This, you're this, you're this, sporting like the heck mint, out of that thing. This, like, mint green is pretty, is pretty sweet, but – um, I, yeah, I, I don't blame them. You know, I mean, if you get a week off in the middle of the season, and it, especially when you're playing so many games, um, it's I guess it's kind of the same argument we use with, um, you know, should the guys be playing the WBC when it comes up or anything else? You know, is it is it you know how do you make those decisions uh, for the Astros right now? I'm glad they're not pitching anybody because let's be honest, the first half of the season. The Astros are not where they are without their pitching. And really, when you look at it, they have, for the whole first half, they've only returned one starter, right? And that's Framber Valdez. Christian Javier has not been himself the last month. Um, Luis Garcia's out with an injury. Jose Arquiti's been out for an extended period of time. Lance McCullers is out. Hunter Brown didn't join the squad until September last year. He's still a rookie. So... The fact that the Astros have been winning games with Brian Belak and JP France and Sean Dubin and Renell Blanco, it's nothing short of a miracle, frankly, that they're this close to Texas at this point. Yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit, and I'm super impressed by it. I think back, you know, to the point that you're making, Jeff, about those rookie pitchers stepping up. Mm-hmm. I just think back to the Dodger series where, I mean, they're what a first of all, what a series and, and all of the drama that the series included, just perfect for a baseball watch. And it had a yeah, it had a postseason feel. And it wasn't like just because there was like tension between the teams or like a history between the Dodgers and Astros. It wasn't even that. It was like, hey, just the actual baseball itself had a, a postseason feel. It was none of the extracurricular stuff that has been discussed between the Dodgers and Astros over the last few years. This was just like legitimate baseball, like interesting. Okay. Yes, it was. And so you had that, but as part of that storyline was exactly what you're talking about, which is the impressive thing about the Astros. I think it's just a, a great snapshot of the Astros season of taking lemons, making lemonade and just doing the best with what you got. And what they've got right now is a bunch of a bunch of rookie pitchers who have had to step in when you lose three fifths of your rotation at the really at the start, like really early mm-hmm. on. You know, you're talking about Jose Arquiti and Luis Garcia and their injuries. And of course, Lance McCullers and his situation, not even being able to pitch for you. Uh, that whole thing coming up in spring training. So you're going right. into the season understanding that, but also thinking you're going to get him back. Not really realizing how bad it is at the time. Just thinking, oh, we're going to have to, yeah. we're going to have to, you know, tread water a little bit while Lance is out. But eventually, he's going to come back and everything's going to be cool. And none of that has happened. None of that has happened. Like you've got the injuries that we talked about, and then on top of that with Lance and all that, and you have to ask a lot more of these rookies than you planned to, or that you wanted to, or than you expected to. All of these things. And so that to me is really impressive. I think those rookies themselves deserve a lot of credit for performing. Yeah. 
I think the Astros pitching staff deserves a lot of credit just in general and always and perpetually because they're excellent. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so uh, and so I'll, I'll concede that pretty much anytime we talk about them. And then Dusty Baker having to manage the situation when everything's not perfect. It's not easy to do. And so right. is every decision going to be the right one? No. Is every decision going to yield great results? No. Do you do the best that you can with limited options? Absolutely. And I think that's that's what the Astros have done. And that's something that they deserve credit for. What I would yeah. say, though, Jeff, to take the other uh, a maybe a less positive view on it is that it does not feel. It does not feel sustainable. I'm not saying that it's not sustainable or that it is. I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be able to tell you what these rookies are capable of. Okay. Right. And, and far be it for me to set limitations on them. Okay. I want to say that like kind of off top, but as far as how I feel about it, when I watch Not it and when fair. I consume it, you know, you just got to be like realistic with yourself and say, Hey, is this sustainable? Or just again, as a consumer, as a fan, as a media person, whatever it is you are, do you feel comfortable with it? You know, it, it, even if yeah. you're, proud of it and tip your cap to it and think that it's admirable how do you feel about it and that's the thing that yeah. that's really kind of concerning is like hey credit to the astros for being one of you know only a third of major league baseball teams got to 50 wins at the all-star break and the astros are one of them so credit to them for being in the upper echelon of major league baseball but the thing that they can hang their hat on right now, which is their pitching, that has perhaps, you could say, outperformed itself, they're hanging their hat on that, and rightfully so, because it's been very good, but also there's that uneasy feeling, at least for me, Jeff, mm -hmm. that maybe it's not all that sustainable. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I mean, you look at the the job that um, the pitching coaches Josh Miller and Bill Murphy have done has been just exceptional uh, with this with the staff, with the rotation, and with the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen's had a few minor things here, but Rafael Montero seems to have kind of righted himself a little bit, which is going to be a big deal for them down the stretch. I think, to me, I think the the thing is is that they this isn't sustainable. Um, you can't like. They've had some incredible pitching performances. I mean, they got sh they got a win with four innings out of Sean Dubin in in at the at Arlington against the Rangers, right? And then they came back when their bullpen was completely taxed, and Brandon Belak came out and gave them seven shutout innings. I mean, just unbelievable. But you can't expect any of that stuff to happen. Um, I do think, however, they're going to get your Keedy back. Um, pr pretty soon after the All-Star break. They are going to get Christian Javier. I think Christian Javier is tired. People forget that he was a, started out of the bullpen last season. Uh, this is really a first full season for him. Um, I think he, he can rebound from his dead arm. Um, and if they can do that, and you can say, okay, because look, J.P. France, whatever you want to say about him, his pitching is sustainable because of the types of pitches he throws. He's not a guy that does anything to really dazzle or anything. He's just, he's just throws quality pitches. He throws strikes, you know, and he, and he does what he's supposed to do. So if you get four guys out of that and it's Fromber, Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, Jose Urquidy and JP France, that seems to me like a sustainable rotation through, you know, through the end of the season, their big problem right now 
is getting the bats turned around. And uh, because if they can do that, right, then the cas- that cascade effect that happens is, okay, well, now we're scoring runs. We don't need these guys to, you know, worry about pitching in high leverage situations all the time and having to throw as hard, you know. Um, and so I think, and, and we can jump into this because it, it's coming. The trade deadline is coming. That's yeah. the next big thing. I think they need both an arm and a bat. I think they need both. Um, the question is, what do they give up to get that? Now, they are going to get Jordan back, which is like trading for you know an MVP in the middle of the season. And they are going to get Jose Altuve back, who's missed a chunk of the year. But I do still think they need help in the middle of that lineup. So what do they do? Yeah. Yeah, it's the it is the question. It is the question. And I'll say this about the because this is something that we discuss a lot at the station as well, at the radio station. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where does the improvement come from? Where does the growth come from for this team? Does it come through the trade deadline externally or does it come from within? Because we've talked about who all's injured and how poor luck that the Astros have had this season with the injury bug. It's just a thing. And hey, like there's got to be some sort of balance between that improving itself, them getting healthier, and figuring out where exactly the holes are on this team. Like they've they've got to figure that part out. But for me, Jeff, the the offense and look, there's there's no dispute in the facts of the matter. The the bats got to wake up. It's an inconsistent offense. Um, they just have not been good enough. And honestly, just not the Astros that we've come accustomed to watching and yeah and, like they're 17th in uh batting average like 15th in ops yeah they're i mean that's that's offense. not the astros that's yeah, not the astros they're, they're a middling offense they are somewhere in the middle like you said in like batting average and, 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 and no matter what offensive statistic you want to look at way to runs created mm-hmm. fan graphs war runs scored anything that you want to look at that indicates yep. what they are offensively they are somewhere consistently in the middle of the pack it's just they've yep. just been very average um and that's that's honestly being kind about it because you know the mm-hmm. average comes from the inconsistency they'll have a big game a big day where they're the the astros that you do remember and know and love mm-hmm. and then they'll have another one like this this mariner series where you know the one game that yeah. they win they win three to two but all games that they lost they scored one run and, and martin after- accounted for the offense there at the end Right. And that's after a, se- a series against the Rangers where they put up a bunch of runs. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're right. I mean, they're, 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 it's just been a roller coaster of a season offensively. Yeah, 100%. And, but, but for me, on the offense, I, I would go back to the points you made about Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve coming back. Because I think those are the most important ones in terms of where this improvement is going to come from. I have been less worried about aside from the Michael Brantley thing and Michael Brantley not yeah. playing yet and, and that injury like I, that that part for me is the big offensive lingering thing that I don't really have an answer for like I don't know how that's gonna fix nobody itself. does I, it, it's it's <laughs> it's the it's the wildest thing to me but but other than that so I, I will put a pin in that but other than that bringing Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve back and having them healthy which is the key. Like, if they're in and out, in and out, not themselves, not feeling like themselves, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But if those come, if those two guys come back right, all of a sudden, I like this lineup a lot better than I like 
what the numbers are telling me or the conversation we're having right now about their offense right. not being any good. I, I, I like it a lot more there. So I can see a fix there. I'm not I don't disagree with the overall point of, hey, they need a bat. But I do feel like they have a bat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I well, that's like not a there. bad point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I it, think you're right. It's it's there. It's 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 there for me. It's just gotta. It's like okay, are you rolling the dice? Are you depending on them to to be healthy and how, like how sustainable is their health? I don't know the answer to that question, but I, right. I I do know how good they are. I know how Jose Altuve is excellent. I know that Jordan Alvarez <laughs> right. is excellent. So you put those guys in the lineup, and all of a sudden your lineup is a lot more excellent. Okay, and and I think I saw. Maybe this was maybe this was Chandler Rome at the Athletic who had who noted this where I, and I want to give credit because this is where I saw it and I hadn't looked it up but I I saw it and thought man that's a that's something to think about those two guys have played thirteen games together Jose Jose yes. Altuve and Jordan Alvarez have been in the lineup together for thirteen games okay and we're at the All Star break so that's like nuts. what what kind of team is that when those guys are playing together what kind of what, well, what kind of lineup is this when those guys play together and you yeah. have to wonder. Like Alex Bregman hasn't been great this season. And right. he always seems to turn around every year. Last year he went had a insane September, ended up with an OPS uh over eight hundred. You've got to wonder is it, how much this is affecting the rest of the lineup. Blum and I have talked about this before. I've written about this. The idea that if you lose uh a Jose Altuve, a Jordan Alvarez, you know, et cetera, et cetera, even Michael Brantley. It's not just that you're losing those players. You're losing the cumulative effect of that impact on the lineup. Like Kyle Tucker has been stellar this year, right? He has been stellar, particularly over the last month. And um, But how much better might he have been if people, you know, didn't have to pitch – if they, they couldn't pitch around him right? because somebody behind him was better or because if he's hitting sixth in the lineup instead of third – right? Or whatever it is, like how much better does that make them just overall as a team? And it makes them a lot better. And also, by the way, kudos to both Corey Jolks and Yiner Diaz. I mean, first of all, I love Corey Jolks. I said it on here. I'm, I'm, I'm a full on Corey Jolks fanboy. Part of it is because he's from Houston. That is true. Went to U of H. I'm throwing the Cougar sign, but I just love the way he plays. He play. He's not a big, necessarily big power hitter. He just he 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 plays a solid left field. He runs the bases well. He makes contact. He solid is completely bats. really solid. He's, at yeah, bats. Well, and just to yeah to that point, he has turned around his season in terms of his strikeout to walk ratio. The first, let's say, 25, 30 games, he was striking out all the time. Now he basically doesn't strike out hardly at all yeah. compared to where he was. Um, Yiner, uh, I mean, everybody wants to kick Maldonado to the curb and just throw Yiner in there all the time. You can't argue with the hitting numbers. You can't argue with the power of his arm. I know Dusty's going to be loyal. But when you look at that, if you imagine those guys in your lineup, but now suddenly they're hitting 7-8 instead of, six seven or whatever and now you've added jose yeah to me you're right it maybe they don't make a trade um maybe they just stick with the bat but if they are going to make a trade the big question is who the hell are they going to trade i mean they're going to have to send somebody out who's at the major league level there's no way 
they're going to get back a, a real arm or anything without. I mean, you've got to figure Jake Myers and or Chaz McCormick is probably one of those guys. Corey Lee would have been, but now he's injured, so I don't know what the, what the deal with he with he's gonna with him is going to be. You've got guys like Drew Gilbert, who they're certainly probably not going to let go of, or or Melton at Double A, Aaron Netty at Triple A now, um, even Pedro Leone, who's having a little bit of a down season. I mean, they don't have a ton of assets to be yeah. dealing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what they do. Yeah, that's the that's the dilemma. And this was a theme on our show on Tuesday. Uh, myself and Adam Spillane on Sports Radio six ten was, you know the. Way I positioned it was, you know, give me the one name, give me the one player that that you like, whoever you are, whoever the person is that's listening. What's the player that you want to add to this Astros team to get them over don't the say, hump? If you will. don't say Shohei Otani. Oh, we yeah, and, and that, <laughs> that, that's absolutely because you know we're doing radio, so we're we're having yeah, fun yeah, yeah. here. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna take the low hanging fruit. Please believe we're gonna take that low hanging fruit and and feed our families with it. But right. but at the same time, the the heart of the of the discussion comes back to your point, which is what do you give up? What do you have to give? And that's the dilemma here, Jeff. Like talking about not being able to solve problems, we sitting here cannot solve the issue of a farm system that has just not been highly thought of for a long time. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation today during you know the draft period yeah when hey like you know not everyone follows the draft necessarily but as it relates to the astros and where they sit right now it is worth noting that they haven't drafted particularly well for about a decade or at least not great for about a decade and and here you are you say well what's the problem with that it's all good you've been successful for all of these years, you've got these World Series appearances, all of these straight appearances in the ALCS. You've won a couple of World Series. It's cool. To heck with that farm system, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but when you're having a, a down year, even, even if you don't want to call it a down year, if you object to that language, if you just want to say, hey, you need a boost. You need something this year and you need something to to get it. Like you need something to, to some kind of collateral to trade for it. You don't have it. You just simply yeah. don't have it. If it comes down to it and your favorite name, whoever that name is that I asked for that you want is their, their services are, are up or like, they, you know, they're on the market, let's say. And another team, which this is the case, another team that mm-hmm. is looking for something similar has a lot more to give, a lot more to offer. Well, they're more likely to get that, that to get that player than you are. And, and that's where the Astros yeah. are. You know, they the, the, the farm system's just not there. They don't have really the prospects that are going to wow you or kind of like just mm-hmm. knock your socks off or anything like that. And then you start looking at the major league roster. Okay. So now where do they have a surplus? Where could they deal? Last year they had the starting pitching surplus was, was what you would call it this year. You might say it's the outfield and, and mm-hmm. particularly center field, the carousel of center field and the Jordan list left field. Right. So like mm-hmm. the, those combination of guys, who would it be? You mentioned Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick. All right. Yeah. So those are probably your best candidates of guys on the major league roster, guys who've played major league ball, who would have some kind of interest on the trade market. But yeah. then what even is that interest? You know, and that's right. a, I think that's a legitimate question as much as 
as much as we like Chaz McCormick here, you got the Chaz mm-hmm. Chomp and like, you know, Chaz has got the big the big time catch in the World Series last year. And he's he's a thing here for sure. And, and we we understand the sort of fascination with with Jake Myers as a center fielder specifically, especially but defensively. Like, but what are, what are those guys? What do people think about those guys around the league? And what's that going to get? Is that enough? Is the ceiling on those guys combined with whatever you've got to offer in the within the farm system? How does that match up with what other teams can offer when they have been drafting well and when they have been developing players within their farm system? It's like it's a it, it's a it's a weird situation to be in when you know you're you're going to be wanting to buy at the deadline and you just don't have yeah. you don't have a whole lot in your pocket. It's a funny thing too because I, I will say that. The Astros have been uh, victims of a number of things when it comes to the draft. I mean, first of all, uh, they haven't had a high draft pick in years because they've been winning so much. Um, They lost two consecutive years of high draft picks, period, because of the cheating thing. Um, You know, so they've also raided their farm system to get guys here, uh, you know, through trades and things like that. I will say... If you want to look at a more recent sort of low-level trade scenario that that really paid dividends, and I'm not even going to talk about Jordan Alvarez, the Jordan Alvarez move. You know, when back in um, 2021, they sent Miles Straw to Cleveland, yeah, and the resulting people they got were Phil Maton and Yiner Diaz. Yeah. So you can make a deal that that strengthens you and makes you better. But if the Astros are looking for impact right now, right? If they're looking what we got to get, we need Justin Verlander again or maybe not Justin Verlander, but they need someone who can be in the top 3 or 4 starting pitchers in your rotation. That's a whole different deal from getting a, a catching prospect and a relief arm. Um, and so I feel like, you know, to me, it's going to, it's going to be difficult to make any of those moves. And I'm glad you brought up the draft. You know, we're going to be, um, uh, on Friday, we're going to, Blum and I are going to host, um, the Astros director of amateur scouting, Chris Gross, uh, which is, you know, after the draft, which should be fascinating. Um, the one thing that, that we've talked about on here. As you notice, the Astros draft almost all college guys. Yep. I think they've taken one high school player in the first, I don't know, there's like 10,000 rounds of the draft. So in the first, in the first three days, they've taken like one high school guy. Yep. Part and, of that and, is because... I've got it. In the, fir- in the first 10 rounds of the draft, they made nine, they selected nine college players and one high schooler in the first 10 rounds of yeah. the draft. Yeah, that's right. So... But the thing that's interesting to me about that 10 rounds, good Lord, that's another reason why the draft is, the MLB draft is unwatchable. It's like like how many rounds, like like they go through 10 rounds in a day. It's like, oh my God. And that's one of the things I want to ask them. Like, how do you even find these guys? You know, these guys are playing at like schools I've never in a million years heard of, right? Um, But I, I will say that, What's interesting to me about this draft is, and the last couple for the Astros, of course, Dana Brown, this is his bailiwick. This is what he does. Their goal is to replenish their stocks as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is through college talent. 
um, a lot of these guys who play big time college ball, you know, they got a guy from Nebraska, UCLA. They picked some guys from the SEC last year. It's like double A. You know, yep. college ba- college baseball in many ways is like is like they can send these guys straight. I mean, you've seen how quickly um, how quickly uh, Gilbert has jumped from you know double A all the way up to triple A. You know, Arenetti has moved up really quickly. That's what I think the Astros want to do, and it's not necessarily just to get them up to the major league club, but it's to boost the rankings of those of their minor league system by drafting guys who are already a little bit mature. Yeah, I think it's a twofold thing. You're hitting on it. It's it's twofold of what they're trying to accomplish, at least. And you, I mean, you guys are going to talk to them yourselves, but this, so this is me projecting what they're trying to accomplish a little yeah, bit yeah. On, on my, myself. But what I'm saying is, I think that they're both trying to replenish that system, make it stronger. But also, I think about this window that they have, and it, it's a talking point. How open is the window? Yeah. Or how large is it exactly? I think they're trying to do both things, extend the window. So get guys who are ready to come and contribute quicker because it, allow, it allows you to remain competitive for a longer stretch of time. But then also yeah. allows you to to get guys in there that, you know, are a little bit more established and a little bit more experienced and and can help you boost those rankings. So I, I think it's a th- that's what stands out to me about the we like college performers strategy by the Astros over the last couple of years. And certainly in this most recent draft that we're talking about, it's, hey, we need this system to be stronger so you can do things. Like, you know, when you draft a player, you don't think about them in terms of trade bait, right? You think about them in terms of, Mm -hmm. hey, what kind of player is this? And how's he going to contribute to the team and all of that? But you do have to kind of take the bird's eye view a little bit and step out and say, okay, they're bringing in enough guys that not only they feel comfortable about their – potential to come and actually contribute to the major league team but also hey this is a guy that i can dangle at the trade deadline right when i need to go get lucas giolito or when i want to bring justin berlander back or make a max scherzer trade i'm just throwing out names you know but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you understand well, what i mean yes. though. like when, when you want to 100%. do something like that then you need you need guys and so that's the that's clearly the strategy they 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 want more established and ready-made players in that system to both play for them and to be uh, available as draft capital, or I should say and they trade, also, cap, trade capital. And and for that matter, replacements for guys that they might trade, right? right? That, if you that, do that move, that's it. You know, yes. if you do move a guy on the major league roster, you need to know that there's somebody backing them up that's going to be able to perform at that level. And look, let's be honest, Alex Bregman's got one year left on his deal. Uh, Kyle Tucker has two more. He's clearly holding out, um, you know, for for as many dollars as he can get. Um, there are guys that are going to be coming up for you know uh, either new either new deals or they're going to move on. Yeah. And so the and, Astros and, they got to do something. And also, if you if you draft a player as good as Drew Gilbert, right, and if you mm-hmm. think as highly of him as we believe that they do within the organization. Mm-hmm then it's a much more of a shoulder shrug. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it's much more of a shoulder shrug when you talk about trading a Chaz McCormick, a fan favorite, right. or or Jake Meyer, somebody that at one point you maybe thought highly of or thought could be your center fielder of the future. Well, now you've got Drew Gilbert that, that right. who's going to come up pretty soon. So those guys are a lot more expendable, which speaks to the point and the importance of drafting guys that are already made like that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it, it, I'm going to be. Obviously, the draft it's so long, and there's so many players taken. 
I, I was even reading today, you mentioned Chandler Room earlier, obviously he's great on the athletic and was reading his story about the, the, uh, the, the picks that the Astros had made. And he's talking about like their bonus pool. Like they have a certain amount of money they can draw from to pay these guys. And so they picked a couple of guys who were seniors in college, which will help their bonus pool. And I'm like, I don't know any, I mean, I know so little about that. (laughs) It's almost embarrassing. I'd like read up on it. I'm like, like, why is that? And then you try to explain, Oh, well, because the high school guys, they have more potential. They're going to want a little more money. And the guys who are seniors, maybe they don't have as many options. I'm like, God, I'm glad I'm not a GM. Yeah. (laughs) So I can say, I am glad I, and so many people in this world seem like they want to run baseball clubs and basketball. I'm the last, I don't want anything to do with it. Part of it is because I'm, I'm terrible at math. I would make a mistake and I'd give somebody a bonus of like a million dollars. Like, wait, no, you meant a thousand dollars. That's like I'd, I'd misplaced the decimal. That's what I would end up doing. No, what you would have is very smart accounting folks. You would have you would be if you were in charge of this, you would be instincts guy. You would be scouting guy. You would be vibes guy. And somebody would be over right. there with a calculator next to you, making sure that all the decimals <laughs> are in the right place. And I would be right there with you. I'd be in the same predicament. I'd be like, hey, I, I, I like that player. Let's sign him. But uh, make sure somebody else does all of the calculations on the contract. Like like to your point in, in this this Chandler Rome story in the athletic about their, their pool, uh, they've got six point seven million dollars of. Uh, of pool money for the, right. the the picks in the first ten rounds, and you're like, okay, well, um, you, makes you think, makes you feel pretty good about them signing their, you know, at least the potential for them signing those first uh, ten picks, and so they want to make the most out of them. But like, how would I, how would I go about using that money or making sure that that money is is properly allocated? Hey, man, God bless. Dana Brown and his staff and, and Chris Gross and his staff and everybody that's right. uh, that's tasked with that because there's a reason why I talk on the radio instead of yeah, exactly. numbers. Well, I tell you, speaking of speaking of controversial numbers, um, we cannot not talk about Barry Bonds. And, uh, you know, and when I say controversial numbers, I'm in his case, I mean, home runs, also the size of his head at one point, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, he was on some new podcast on the believe network on this very network talking yesterday about how he felt disrespect, like that he felt like it was indisputable that he should be in the hall of fame and that no one is sort of coming to his defense and he doesn't understand why, and he thinks it's messed up. So I'm. A, I want to get your take on this before I give my two cents, um, because look, I've followed Barry Bonds. I mean, I grew up at the time he was becoming Barry Bonds, right? So I watched him a lot. But I'm very curious what your thoughts on this latest. I mean, we haven't heard from Barry in a while. First right. of all, yeah, it's been kind of radio silence. It's not like Pete Rose, where every other day you're hearing him talking about getting in the Hall of Fame. So what 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 do you think about what Barry had to say? Well, I, first of all, I find the Barry Bonds versus baseball as an institution to be fascinating because I, I honestly don't feel like there's any good guys in the scenario. Like you know, most most stories have a protagonist yeah. and an antagonist, and you pick your side. Maybe you like the antagonist better, but you pick a side, right? Whereas yeah. with this one, I don't feel like there's a protagonist. I just feel like both sides <laughs> are kind of like. 
not ones that you really want to root for. Barry Bonds, for obvious reasons, I feel like he alienated people with his personality and just kind of like even aside from the whole cheating thing, whatever you feel about steroids. And I'm not the biggest you know, a uh, hand wringer about the steroid era. era. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. got to do with my age or what. And the fact that I was a, you know, I was a child during the steroid era. And so like, that was the baseball I was introduced to. And, and mm-hmm. like, just, I only remember it fondly, you know? So like, I, I actually, <laughs> right. I actually kind of struggle with some of that, the moral outrage and the hand wringing about it. But Barry Bonds himself, like if you just isolate it to him has been objectively, unlikable throughout the years, at least from what you hear, the way you hear people talk about it from the era. So there's that part of it, but there's also a lot of disingenuous, uh, and maybe it is genuine, but just doesn't feel icky feeling kind of resentment toward Barry Bonds, who is again, like objectively one of the game's greats, arguably the greatest baseball player that most of us that are still alive, at least have ever seen. So, so there's that aspect of it. It kind of, it's just conflicting. Cause you're like, Hey man, I understand why they don't like this guy. And I understand, you know, that whole thing, like where the resentment comes from, but give credit where it's due. Like, you know, steroids or not, this was an incredible baseball player. And then on the other end, it's like, Barry, come on, man. Don't, don't pretend like you don't know why people don't rock with you man like you've you've made it difficult over the years for people to take your side even if you've got points even if you've got points to be made so Mm -hmm. i just find that part of it interesting as far as what he said like i I saw the part where he like he contends that he was vindicated by this whole thing that that he was vindicated by you know winning his case in federal court and he was i think he even said he was a 100 percent vindicated and yeah. again, I, I'm saying this from the perspective of someone that doesn't do a whole lot of hand wringing and moral outrage right. about the steroid era. OK, that's the perspective I'm coming from it with. But at the same time, I feel like Barry Bonds, respectfully, man, somebody needs to reintroduce him to the concept of vindication <laughs> and what vindicated actually means. <laughs> no doubt. Because I don't think he's got a great grasp for it at all. And and. Uh, can I reiterate enough? I'm saying that as somebody that is mostly on his side in terms of being in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> being recognized for how great he was. I think it's ridiculous and silly that he's not in there. It's, it's it's actually one of my beefs with the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've joked about like like who who cares if I acknowledge or not, but I've joked about hey, I don't acknowledge the Baseball Hall of Fame until Roger Clemens and, and Barry Bonds are in. Because mm-hmm. those are the stars of my childhood, and I don't care that they did steroids. <laughs> I, I want them in. They're great. But at the same time, let's be real. Let, let's be real yeah. about why it is the way it is and what your role is in that. And let's not misuse terms like vindication. You know, like, I agree with you. Like, 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 like there's a difference between being exonerated and vindicated. And there's yeah. like there's a there's a difference between what a court might say or what the outcome of a court case might be and the court of public opinion. And mm-hmm. that's what the Hall of Fame and this whole conversation really is about fair or foul or however you want to look at it. Like, that's what it is. You know, this is not you're not in federal court. You know, like that's the right. that's the fact of the matter. You're not in federal court with with this situation and, and going to the Hall of Fame and everything like that. That is not vindication, you know, and if he wants any evidence of and I guess he is speaking to it, saying what happens to vindication within my own sport? Yeah. Being exonerated 
or getting off in a, in a case or whatever it is does not vindicate you. It does not, it does not tell the rest of the people, Oh, you know what, what I think happened didn't happen or what I saw with my own eyes or what I believe with, with my own Intel isn't the case because so-and-so was vindicated. Like, no, that's, that's just <laughs> oh, not, that's come on. not how the world works. Barry Bonds. American politics teach us is that right off the bat. It doesn't matter. Like the perception is reality for so many people. And I, you know, I a hundred percent agree with you. I was, I was an adult during the steroid area, albeit a young adult. Um, and uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a real purist. Right. I like the universal DH. Uh, I hated watching pitchers hit. You know, I, I know that there are lots of people out there who would disagree with me on that. And that's totally fine. Um, but when it comes to Barry Bonds, my opinion has always been about Barry Bonds specifically. I'm not going to get into Mark McGuire and and uh, and all those other guys. But for Barry Bonds specific, Jose Canseco, certainly, um, <laughs> but specifically Barry Bonds. He was a Hall of Famer when he left Pittsburgh, right? I He was already one of the base, best baseball players to play the game before he got to San Francisco, before he started allegedly using steroids, uh, before all of the home run hitting, you know, and the and the chase and all that stuff that happened. So to me, like, if I understand the rules, you know, around the game. But again, Babe Ruth and guys like that, they had like horse tranquilizers and were probably – you know, God only knows what the hell they were doing uh, when they were playing baseball. So I'm just not as unlike you. I'm not a big hand wringer about that kind of stuff. Um, the thing that bothers me with players who have done that is the lack of admission. Right? Like if you want to, if if you did something that was wrong, fall on your sword. Let it let the you know, just go ahead and say, yeah, yeah, this is what happened. It sucks. You know, I feel bad about it. That's why I don't understand why they won't let Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. Right. He admitted what he did. Right. He was like, yeah, I bet I didn't bet on my games, but I bet on games. And now they're like, no, you're never getting in. So to me, it's like you want these people to have some level of integrity, even if it is after the fact. But then what you're, you're going to blacklist them anyway. So when Roger Clemens, like my, to me, the biggest crime Roger Clemens ever committed was standing in front of Congress and saying it was B12 and Latacane, just B12 and Latacane, like over and over again. I'm like, dude, just say you shot some. St- it's fine. Like everybody, Andy Pettit admitted it. And everybody was like, oh, look at what a sweetheart Andy Pettit is. Yep. He came out and he told the truth. Right. If Roger Clemens, if it wasn't for the, the ego that drove him, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But it's it's just to me, I think, Brandon, to be honest with you, I think people who are from a younger generation will change a lot of this in baseball eventually. I think people like you who grew up, who were kids during that time, they're going to come around. And, and I think people who are Gen Xers like me who just don't give a crap are going to be like, yeah, yeah, let them, whatever. It's fine, you know, because there is, like you said, and I thought that was a really good point about there is no real antagonist or there's no good guy in this scenario. Baseball Mm -hmm. has been just as hypocritical and stupid as Barry Bonds has been evasive and, you know, ridiculous. And so to me, they're both, they both look like idiots. And if you want to look, if you want to put an asterisk or something by their nameplate in the hall of fame, if that's what you've got to do to make yourself feel better. Okay, fine. But not letting one of the greatest hitters, 
and defensive players that ever played the game who was that good long before he was ever accused of steroids not in the hall is just it's insane yeah like i'm I'm trying to imagine a world where and forgive me for even throwing out this hypothetical but i'm trying to imagine a world where we don't let michael jordan into the hall of fame because he if he did steroids would anybody care if michael jordan did steroids no like like he's in Sorry, guys. Steroids or not, he's in. Or not letting Jerry Rice into the Hall of Fame because you found yeah. out he did steroids. It's like, sorry, man. <laughs> he was too good. Like, and, it, and like you said, put that asterisk there. If, if that's what you feel like you got to do to feel good about it, then fine, do that. But the idea that you're, you're – and I, I agree with your overall point that this is going to correct itself over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that there will be – like you're saying, there, there will be people who over the years are going to look at it and say, hey, well, what are we doing? And especially when you consider, you know, going back to the point of the no good guy in the scenario here, like when you consider even why Barry Bonds, like anybody, has anybody really done enough thinking on why it is that Barry Bonds, one of the greatest baseball players to ever live, would feel like he needed to do steroids all of a sudden? You know, like, or why he would resort to that. Like, whether he was doing it in the beginning of his career or doesn't start until after, you know, things start to blow up with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 98. Like, wherever you track it to, it's hard not to think that it's, that that's not born of a, like a cultural thing. Like, something that Mm -hmm. is pervasive within the baseball culture. Like, he felt a need or a reason to keep up or or to do this thing that frankly was going on and was happening so, somewhat unchecked and i say going on it's not like everybody was doing mm-hmm. it but it was unchecked for the most part or yeah. allowed oh baseball to, ignored it for yeah, sure base, baseball turned the other way and so <laughs> like if if you're watching players that aren't as good as you sort of pass you up or or do things that you're not able to do without the extra that they're using then it's like okay mm-hmm. well if i'm better than them when it's fair and square, then I'll be better than them. If we're both cheating, you know. I'll cheat. Yeah, I'll cheat exactly. better than them. Exactly. Know? And so it, that's, it's not that's like he. It it, it's not like steroids helped him hit. Right. Like he still has to make contact. You know, there's so many things in baseball that you still have to do. Um, but it does bring up an interesting question when we get to the Hall of Fame stuff, it, and that is, what happens if and when um, some of the Astros who are involved in the cheating scandal, specifically Jose Altuve, what happens when they're up for the hall? Yeah. And, yeah, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what so happens? Much about that. What does happen? Yeah. It's just, I, it's just crazy. I have no idea. Well, Honestly, look, don't have it. Look, here's, here's an interesting thing though, to go with that. Like when I saw the other day from the MLB shop that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman this year are still, the top five sell or among the top 10 selling jerseys since, <laughs> since opening day. So it's like, okay, does that just mean that you just got a, you know, a rabid Astros fan base that's holding it down for Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, or does it mean just kind of generally that the stench from the sign stealing scandal wears off over time? Certainly by the time that their careers are over and it's time to vote yeah. them in something that's going to come up and something that you're going to have to discuss and you know, sort of the other the other side of hey, 
younger people are going to be more accepting of the sign still. And I do wonder how the younger generation of baseball writer is going to consider the the as opposed to steroids, how they're going to consider sign stealing since we were of age for that. Like we're adults consuming that, you know, and so we're, we were here for it. And what sort of the how, how differently does my generation view the sign yeah. stealing scandal from the steroid scandal when it comes time to vote? It'll be a fascinating thing when we get there. I just want to know if they can at all possible get the trash can in the hall. Can they get the trash can <laughs> displayed at the hall? Just There's like they do at the Smithsonian. <clears throat> right. Well, at the Smithsonian, they've got like Archie Bunker's chair and the set of Seinfeld and like whatever. They got to have the trash can, man. Find I, that trash can. It's very I, important. I, I always thought that, especially since, you know, we operate in astral spaces and you know so there was like a defensive element of the whole sign stealing thing for for astros fans because they're like hey you know stop beating up on us everybody in baseball did mm-hmm. this leave us alone you know all this kind of thing but i i thought that there wasn't nearly enough fun had with them banging <laughs> on the trash can that, great i look hilarious i thought it was i thought the inflatable trash cans people threw on the field was pretty clever like yeah. I was pretty, I was down with that. Like it's, yeah. it's, you got to be clever about this at some point anyway. Well, man, thank you so much for joining me today. B Scott, uh, what is it? What are you, you're going to be on the radio all this week, six to 10, I think on yeah, all this 10? week, right. all this week, six to 10 on six ten in for pain and Pendergast. So I'm enjoying that. I'm in with Adam Spillane. So you can expect plenty of Astros talk in addition to our usual, Texans talk that we do and he and I do a podcast together I'll mention again H-Town Hoops yeah. podcast we cover the Rockets and so pretty much any team in town if you're interested in them we've got something to say about them so check us out and Jeff man thanks for having me really man this is an honor and My I pleasure. enjoy getting a chance to talk to you whenever whenever the opportunity presents itself yeah man we get we uh we haven't known each other that long but we did get to know each other at the final four <clears throat> that's how that's how it happened and uh and so it's all good i'm i'm always happy to have you on and it's always a pleasure to talk to you blummer and i are going to be back on friday with a fresh pod brought to you by bet online uh we'll be joined by astros director of amateur scouting chris gross which should be excellent so we can go over the draft very excited to have him on don't miss out on that huge thanks to everybody who's listening and watching you guys keep liking and subscribing tune in to b scott on 610 this week and uh, tune in to us on Apple Podcasts. We're thankful so much for you guys. So have a great week. And as always, go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.